Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. The Lord has been dealing with me, and since He's been dealing with me, then I get to deal with you. So, about expectation. So, I'd like to turn this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read the first three verses. This is the faith chapter, the heroes of faith. Verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. We hear, and, and I, Gina and I went to Ramah. You know, people said, Brother Hagen wrote Mark eleven twenty three, which I don't think he did. But he preached on, that, on those verses probably more than anybody I've ever known. In fact, he said, until you've preached on faith at least 50 times, you haven't even got your sermon down. When I first heard him say that, I probably hadn't preached 50 times in my life, and it was, seemed like an impossible thing. But it is one of those things that the more you get into it, the more you see. And the more you see, the more you want to get into it. But I've come to the realization in the last few years that while faith is necessary, you're there in Hebrews 11, verse 6, says, without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Faith is vital. You can't come to salvation, which includes getting born again, going to heaven at the end of your life. But that's, that is just, get, the, the new birth is just the beginning of a very long journey. A, a journey that's going to take all eternity to see you through. And I've come to the conclusion that there are, there are two problems with individuals and the body of Christ, because the body of Christ is made up of individuals. The, 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 the biggest problem is, is not that we don't have faith. The biggest problem is, first of all, we don't have knowledge of the Word. Ignorance of the Word just astounds me sometimes, within myself and within the body of Christ writ large. But the thing that, that ignorance of the Word breeds is not necessarily, it, it does breed a lack of faith, because faith begins where the will of God is known. Until you know what God's will is, you cannot exercise faith for God's will. You know, I, I, for years I heard prayers, Lord, we're going to pray for, you know, make an illustration, Pastor Chuck Sick, Lord, we're going to pray for Pastor. If it's your will, heal him. Sounds great. Well, we're just putting it in God's will. You cannot, and this is an absolute, you cannot pray a prayer of faith if you don't know what God's will is. You have to get word on it. You have to get figure out what does the Bible say on this. And once you know what the Bible says, there is a second part to it. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, 
It's the second part of verse 1. Faith is the substance. Faith takes what, what the Bible says is yours and makes it a reality in your life. But without hope. Remember, it's the substance of things hoped for. If you don't change your hope, you have nothing to attach your faith to. It requires knowledge. But, and, and the reason I'm, I'm belaboring this point is I have seen this in my own life. I still see it from time to time. Sometimes, you know, you, the old commercial, you just have to clap yourself on the forehead and say, I could have had a V8. Sometimes you just do things and you, you do it out of habit and, and you get in the middle and you think, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Because this, obviously, this is not working. And, and what I see is I go and I, I pray and I, I exercise faith. I get a scripture and I'm in faith about this. And then I think, okay, I've done that. Now I'm going to go live my life. And my expectations for my life in general have absolutely nothing or very little to do what I just prayed for. I didn't change my overall expectations. And I've, I've said this before, if you read on down, verse 2, Hebrews 11, says, For by it, by what? By this faith and by this hope, the elders obtained a good testimony. Now the subject does not change when you get to verse 3. We're still talking about the faith that the elders had. That's the subject of this entire chapter. The faith that the elders got a good report from. It says, by faith we understand that the worlds, it's a horrible translation. The Greek word there is aeon. Everywhere else in the New Testament, aeon is, is, is um, translated age. What it's saying here. By faith we understand that the ages were framed by the word of God. What ages? The ages of the elders. God came to each one of these men and women down through here and spoke a word to them. And they framed their life around one word from God. And we think that we've got it rough when we've got from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation. We've got the entire Bible. Some of these people had nothing in, as far as the Bible is concerned. Nothing. It hadn't been written yet. Especially you look at the Old Testament saints. They knew there was a Messiah to come someday. But we don't know anything about him or much about him. And in fact, you go back through and read in the, in the Old Testament. Time after time you will see. There, was, there, there were problems here in, in the, the nation because there was no teaching priest at that time. The priests were supposed to come. When the people brought their sacrifice, they were to say, okay, this is your sacrifice. Why are you sacrificing this? Well, here's why. Because there's a Messiah that's coming. And your sin is going to cause the death not only of this innocent animal, but it's going to cause the death of that Messiah. And your Messiah is going to die for you. And his blood will be shed for you. And you will be delivered out of your sin because of his blood. And, and until he comes, this animal will just cover your sins. It's not going to eradicate them. We'll do this again next week. 
We'll do this again next year. We're going to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And then they got in such trouble, they got carried off to Babylon, and now they don't have a temple anymore. Can you imagine what those people felt like? How do I get my sins covered now? Because I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I can't go to the temple. I can't sacrifice. Well, we have the entire testament. We have God's will written down. Not only has he given us his entire testament, but he's given us his spirit. He's put the Holy Spirit on the inside of us and said, guys, just come, let me dwell with you. You come dwell with me and figure out what my will is for your life. Let me give you a particular word for your situation. And when you get that word, go frame your life about, out of that. Amen? I want to look at two. Uh, we, we saw hope here in, in verse 1 of Hebrews 11. But I want to go back to the book of Luke. And I want, want to look at two particular passages. Luke chapter 2. We're coming up on Christmas. We will be reading about the Christmas story. Well, that's Luke chapter 2 is, is Luke's account of the Christmas story. And, and Christ was born... And in, in, um, through verse 20, it talks about the, the, the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, but it's starting in verse 21. Mary and Joseph had to take Jesus and take him to the temple because on the eighth day he had to be circumcised. And since he was the firstborn of Mary, he had to be redeemed. They had to pay for him because the firstborn was always the Lord's. And if you didn't redeem him, then there were problems. Now, in the pagan cultures, a lot of times the firstborn was sacrificed. When you, you go back and look at how they sacrificed babies to Moloch, that was part of what that worship was that they, that was their firstborn. It was given, our firstborn, our best is given to this God so that he will bless the rest. Well, God said, no, I don't want you killing your firstborn children. What I want you to do is, if, if you're poor, just get a turtle dove. That's all it takes. In fact, if you read, that's what Mary and Joseph did. They had a turtle dove. Now, this is a little side thought, but let me throw this out there, and you can go research it. If the, if the wise men, and there weren't three of them, there were a bunch. There was an entire caravan. If they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, why were Mary... And Joseph poor when they took Jesus on the eighth day. Why did they have to get a turtle dove? You ever thought of that? It's because the wise men didn't visit Jesus in Nazareth or in uh, Bethlehem. The wise men didn't come till Jesus was back in their hometown, back in Nazareth. And then when they came, they said, you need to get out. That's why, and it was probably two years after Jesus was born. That's why Herod killed all the children two years and under. Because it had been a while. Then they had the money. Jesus wasn't raised dirt poor. At this point, they didn't have a lot. They sacrificed a turtle dove. But drop down into verse 25. 
This is when they brought Jesus into the temple. He's going to be circumcised. They're going to redeem him with, with the sacrifice of this turtle dove. And in verse 25 it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This man, Simeon, hung out in the temple all the time. Doesn't say that he was a priest, it just says the Holy Spirit was on him and he just hung around the temple because he was looking for the consolation of Israel. I was curious when I read that, I thought, consolation, I never looked that up. What's consolation mean? It's the Greek word paraclete. When Jesus promises the disciples and said, there is one coming, the Holy Spirit's going to come, he uses the term paraclete. It's one called alongside to help. What Simeon is looking for here, and notice in verse 25, it says Simeon was waiting expectantly. He had his hope for the Messiah. That's all he lived for. I'm going to hang out here and one of two things are going to happen. I'm either going to die of old age or I'm going to see the Messiah. And he said, if you read on through this, Simeon died happy because the Holy Spirit was on him. When he saw Jesus, he knew this is it. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's called alongside to help us. But he saw him. He recognized Jesus for one reason. He was waiting expectantly. He had his hope out there. The Greek word there is pros dekomai. Pros meaning to, to um, lean in towards something. And dekomai means to make it your own. To take it by your hand and grasp it. So when it says that he was waiting expectantly, Simeon pressed into God and took this hope and said, this is my hope. I know God promised the nation of Israel that the Messiah was coming, but I don't care about the nation of Israel. I care about me. This is my hope. I want to see the Messiah. If the nation wants to get in on it, great, but I'm going to see it. I don't care if nobody else sees it. It's going to be mine. That's what we need to do. You know, it always amazes me. You can sit in a, in a, a, a service. You can have thousands of people in a church service. Praise and worship can be rocking. Holy Spirit's there. And you will have some people that are, man, they are pressing in. And you will have other people that they're just, you know, they're on their phones. They're looking at Facebook. They're doing whatever. They just don't care. It's like, okay, I'm at church. I'm doing my duty. It's all I care about. Got to do your duty. God can be there. And, and, and God was present to heal. And yet they didn't see it. You see that with, with Jesus. When they, the, they lowered the man down through the roof to, to heal him, that Jesus could touch him. It said the Pharisees got, they got offended at Jesus because he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. And it said, and the Holy Spirit was present to heal and only one man got healed. Believe me, there were more problems there than that one man. And nobody else got it. Why? Because they weren't expecting it. They weren't pressing in trying to grab it. Amen? If you drop on down to verse 38, we're still in Luke 2. 
This is talking about Anna. Well, let's start in verse 36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. That ought to tell you right there. When you hit 65, it's not time to retire. Now, let me be honest with you. It may be time for you to retire from the job that you've had to do all your life to earn a paycheck. It may be time that you can sit back and live on your savings or your retirement income. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as retirement. And I pet, pet peeve here. Don't tell me you're too old to serve. This lady was 84 years old when the average lifespan was in their 30s and 40s. You may not be able to work. You may not be able to come and clean the church or rake the leaves or cook at the pig roast or do any of the physical labor. But bless God, you can fast and pray. It's not time to quit. There's plenty of time to quit when you're in your grave. When you're gone to heaven, then you're, you're done. There's no more you can do here. Other than stand on the rail, urge on those that are still here. But until you're dead, there's still stuff to do in the kingdom. Now, it may not require, let me clarify that. We're, we're not expecting you to work physically, maybe. But what, what churches need more than anything is a body of believers that will pray and believe God. One person of faith can turn a church around. And I've, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I've had more than one people person tell me that Ichabod is written on our front door. The Spirit of God has de departed. And I've told, I said the same thing to every one of them. It's not true. Well, how do you know? Because I'm there. First of all, I know it's not just me, but if, if nobody else is believing, I'm there. And when I walk in the door, the Spirit of God comes in with me. And I'm not the only one. So people may tell you, ah, oh, yeah, God's done with faith. Nope. Just smile. Don't get angry with them. Just look at them like you would a stubborn, bratty child. Say, it's okay. Think what you want. But God's not done with us. But let's read on. Verse 38. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Again, this says that Anna was waiting expectantly for the redemption of Israel. What was the redemption of Israel? It was the presence of the Messiah. She had an expectation. She pressed in. She was a widow. She just spent her days going to the temple, fasting, praying. For what? That God would send the Messiah. And I guarantee you the Father had raised up a lot of people in that nation to pray that in. Why? Because it was time for the Messiah to come. When it's time, God will start laying on your heart to pray for things. And believe me, it may not be easy. Usually when it's time and God says, it's time to move right now. You can't wait. You can't piddle around. You can't do anything else. You've got to pray. Sometimes if you don't pray... That opportunity will pass you by. And you may not get a second opportunity. That's why it says today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. 
And even if, if God says, this is the, you need to enter into this now, for you the opportunity may be gone. That's why I've had people, I've had people tell me before, I'm going to go off and enjoy my life and have, sow my wild oats and have fun. When I'm old and I, I, you, know, you can't do anything anyway, then I'll come and become a Christian. The only problem with that is by the time you get there, you don't want it. The desire's gone. God will quit moving on you. When God moves on your heart, you better not pass. And I don't care whether it's for salvation or for whatever. When He moves on your heart to do something, disobedience, um, Samuel told Saul that it's, it's witchcraft. Now you read it in the original Hebrew. It doesn't say uh, rebellion or, 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 or stubbornness is as the sin of witchcraft. Those are in italics. It says stubbornness is witchcraft. Disobedience is witchcraft. You've put your will and your idea above God's. That is not a spot you want to be in. But these two were looking, waiting expectantly. They were decomai. They were pressing in and making it their hope. Yes, it was a general promise to the nation of Israel, but they took it personal. They said, this is my Messiah, and I'm waiting for him, and I'm going to see him. And those two saw him. There were thousands of people in that temple. These are the only two that it's recorded that recognized the Messiah was there. None of the leaders recognized it. None of the Pharisees came running out and said, Did you see the Messiah? No, but these two people, both of them older, both of them not lots of means, not well known, but they had the Spirit of God on them. And they recognized and, and they, they were granted what, that God's presence there, they got to see what they were believing for because they kept their hope active. And kept their, because their hope was active, they could keep their faith on it. Let's go over to Titus. That's great for them. How does that apply to me? Because, you know... If I can't make application, does it really matter? Well, it, it does in an abstract way, but to be honest with you, if it doesn't really apply to my life, I can't get much out of it. Titus chapter 2, we're going to start with verse 11. This is Paul talking to Titus, and, and you have to understand, let me give you just a little brief background. Titus was raised up as a pastor, a minister, under the, the, the ministry of Paul, and he sent him to the Isle of um, Crete, yes, Cretans. And basically, Paul told Titus, he said, Titus, you got one sermon message for the, for the people on the Isle of Crete. And we have the term Cretans today. That's not, somebody calls you a Cretan, they're not giving you a compliment. And Titus's time, his sermon title of pretty much everything he preached to the, to the Cretans was sit down, shut up, and listen. That was it. But in chapter 2, verse 11, he's trying to tell them this is what grace will do for you. This is what Jesus' sacrifice will do for you. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's a goal for all of us. That's our life goal right there. 
I want to be able to um, deny ungodliness in my own life. I want to walk away from worldly lusts. I want to live soberly and righteously and godly in my life right now. So how do I do that? Because I've said it before. If you tell me to do something, tell me how to get it. Otherwise, you're just going to frustrate me. So how do I do it? Well, Paul tells us. It's amazing. Paul always answers my questions. Verse 13, looking for, same Greek word as waiting expectantly. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do those things. We deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and we live soberly and righteously and godly by getting our expectations, leaning in and making what Jesus said here and the fact that Jesus is coming back and he may come back in the next five minutes. He may come back in the next day. He may come back in a thousand years. I don't know. He won't tell me. And I've asked him. And I always get the same answer. None of your business. You live like I'm coming back in five minutes and you won't do those things. But having that expectation and making that expectation not just a general theme. You know Jesus is coming back. I saw that driving to, to Florida. You know, you spend a lot of hours on the road driving to Florida. And you see a lot of cars. You know, it's, it's, it's always, a, you know it's going to be a good day when it's raining cats and dogs and your windshield wipers can barely clear the, um, the rain off of your windshield and you're driving the speed limit in the slow lane and semis are going past you like you're just sitting still. And you're reading bumper stickers because everybody's passing you. And... I can't count the number of times I saw bumper stickers that said, Jesus is coming soon. And it's like, well, that's true, but are you living like it? And believe me, some of the people that had those bumper stickers, the way they were driving, they really weren't expecting the Lord to return. <clears throat> their, their, their driving skills didn't meet, meet the, the story of their bumper sticker. That's so why I've always said, I don't put fish on my backs of my cars because it's not a good witness sometimes when I'm out driving on the highway. I don't want people to know I'm a Christian. That's a joke. But notice, we clean up our lives here by looking, by taking that expectation that Jesus is going to be here. I don't have 10 more years. I got five minutes, and I better live the next five minutes like it's my last five. For one thing, it may be my last five. I don't know. But if it is, I want, it to, I want to step over in the presence of God knowing that I was doing my best to further the kingdom. We see the same thing. Go over to the little book of Jude. and We're going to look at the 20th verse. While we're going over there... You know, I used to hear all the time, well, it, you know, if you're a um, pre-tribulational rapture person, which I am, then you're just, you're just wanting Jesus to come back to rescue you from this miserable life. Well, I've had times in my life where, you know, 
And in fact, I, in fact, I've had people say, you know, pre-tribulational rapture theology is just a Christian's way of looking for, you know, um, a godly suicide. God, get me out of here because I don't want to, you know, I'm either going to kill myself or kill somebody else. So you better come today. Well, that's not the, the, the expectation that we should have. The expectation we should have is here in verse 20. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. That, all, that means praying in tongues, but it also means praying in English according to the Word. Spirit-inspired prayers. Just like uh, Simeon and Anna did back in the, in the temple. But notice verse 21. When you do that, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. How do I build myself up on my holy faith? Praying in the Holy Spirit. I keep myself... By looking for exact same word, prosdecomai, by leaning in and making mine the, the knowledge that Jesus is coming back for me with his mercy activated to give me eternal life. And not just give me eternal life in that when I die I get to live with him forever. Giving me eternal life that I can live my life today in the power of the Spirit and have that, that eternal life manifest in me. So that when what I want to do is go shoot somebody, instead I go hit my knees and pray for them. It's one of the reasons, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I hear, I had the, the I, I love my, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, but I don't watch the news much anymore. I just turned it off because I don't want to hear it. I don't care what's going on. I, I'm not watching local news. I'm not watching national news. If the world blows up, if God doesn't tell me, I don't care to know it. I just don't want to know. And mainly I don't want to know it because I don't want to get my emotions attached to things. Everybody I know, and what, why I mentioned my mother-in-law and father-in-law, while we were there, I got to watch the, the news a lot. And I started picking up other people's offenses. The left is angry with the right because they're a bunch of fascist thugs who just want to take away all of our freedoms. And the right is, all, is angry at the left and offended at the left because they're just a bunch of fascist thugs trying to take away our freedoms. And everybody's mad at everybody. And everybody's choosing up and picking sides. Well, I'm with so-and-so. I'm with so-and-so. Sounds like Paul rebuking the Corinthian church. And you say you're Paul, you say I'm, I'm with God, period. And I don't care about the politics. I don't care about, I don't even get, and this one has, this one's puzzled me for a while. I, I was, I, I have pretty strong feelings on which sports teams are the best. I've got my baseball team, my basketball team, my football team. And you can either agree with me or you can be wrong. I mean, it's just, that's how it is. I've got my team, and my team is the best. And there's nothing you're going to ever tell me that's going to change my mind. I know they're the best. You know, you bleed me, I bleed Dodger blue, Celtic green, and Green Bay green. It just depends on what time of the year it is. Well, but I've had people literally get 
angry over a stupid college basketball game. I've gone to, to IU and Purdue, huge rivalry, and I agree, I've got two degrees from IU. I'm an IU fan. I like them. But do they have a winning season? I don't know. If they win the national championship the day after the championship, my life will be no different than it was the day before. If, if I, I, I almost put a green arm or a black armband on when Aaron Rodgers went down, got injured, and was gone for the season because I knew that's it. That's our team. We're done. But at the next day, I didn't, I didn't get up and think, oh, Lord, how am I going to get through my day? Aaron Rodgers is out for the season. What am I going to do? I got up the next day and thought, I really wish he was healthy and we could win some games. But it's a football game. It's a bunch of big guys running around with a pigskin under their arm, trying to cross a line, and I don't care. There are people out there literally dying and going to hell. And it doesn't matter whether the Packers win or lose. It doesn't matter whether Chuck Pagano's God or the devil and all that, you know, the difference between him being God or the devil is their record. If he was winning games, he'd be God. They're losing, so he's the devil. doesn't matter whether he's a good coach or a bad coach. It just matters do you produce the results. And the results are temporary Things that don't matter a bit. What matters, what we need to get ourselves focused on is this expectation that Jesus is in me and I need to be living this out. My life needs to be an expression of His love and His compassion and His mercy and His power. And it takes effort to get that done because I've got all kinds of distractions in my life. I got all kinds of things. The Bible says that, you know, a, a, a clean stall is not a blessing. You go to a rancher and their fields are empty and they look like manicured lawns, you know that rancher ain't making any money. If you're making money, you got manure everywhere. You got smells everywhere. Why? Because you got plenty of cattle and you got things growing and you're selling them and you're butchering them and you're making money and things are a mess and there's a lot of work. I used to joke when I taught school when we'd have days, you know, where the kids weren't there and it was the teachers only. It was like, it's a pretty good place to work when these stupid kids don't show up. <laughs> I could have fun here today. But you know, without the kids, there really wasn't much of a point of us getting together. Well, this would be a pretty good church if it wasn't for you people. <laughs> Pastor Chuck and I get along real well. We could have a fun time if you all just go home and ship us your money. But a church with no people is just a waste of air. It's a waste of energy. But when you get a group of people, guess what? You get all their problems. And this one's mad at this one, and this one's mad, and we're taking, picking up sides. Why? Because we've picked up the offenses of the world, and we've brought them in, and what we need to be looking at is what in the world does Jesus want us to do? He may show up in the next 10 minutes, and am I ready? Have I lived out His life in the last 10 minutes? Have I displayed His love and His power towards the world? 
We ought to have people knocking our doors down saying, I, I don't know what you people got, but I want some. And then most people look at Christians and they say, I don't know what you got, but I don't really like it. Now, part of that is because we, we have things told on us that aren't true. But unfortunately, some of the things that are told on the body of Christ in general are true. Some of the nastiest fights I've ever been involved in happened in church board meetings. It's, it's, it's a tragedy. Should not be that way. Some of the nastiest things I've, I've seen come out of church splits. People literally wanted to get guns and shoot somebody because you, you're messing with my church. It ain't your church. It's not my church. It's not Chuck's church. This is a church of Jesus Christ. Take it up with him. If you think you've been offended, you think somebody's done something wrong, ask him to avenge you. And then sit back and let him do it if he has a mind to do it. Believe me, I said it before, if you think God wants to get you, he knows where you live. And he has the capacity to get you. Amen? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Because I want to I just finish up here and show you two places where Jesus shows us he does this. This is how Jesus lived and how Jesus is living now. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to start with verse 11. And this, is, this literally is talking about what Jesus does. Because remember, Jesus is our high priest. There's not a temple in Jerusalem, but there is a temple in heaven. And it has an altar. And on that altar is his blood. And it cries out 24 hours a day, mercy, mercy, forgiveness, forgiveness. It never calls out for revenge. Now Jesus is coming back as the Lion of Judah. And he's going to have some vengeance. But that vengeance is directed towards the devil. Any human being that gets, gets destroyed during the, la, during the tribulation period and, and when Jesus comes back for that climactic um, battle, the battle of Armageddon, any humans involved in that, they're, they're, they're there by choice, but God's wrath is not directed towards them. It's directed towards the devil behind them and they're just standing in the line of fire. And it's... It's not a place you really want to be. But in, in Hebrews 10, verse 11, it says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, referring to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting waiting, pros decamai, waiting expectantly. He leaned in. He said, I'm done. It's finished. My blood's on the altar. I'm sitting down. My ministry is finished until I get up and go back for my bride. But I am not just doing nothing. I have a fervent heartfelt expectation and I'm leaning in and I'm making that expectation mine. And that expectation is till my enemies are made my footstool. Well, how in the world are his enemies going to be made his footstool if he's sitting on the throne? Why didn't he get up and do something? 
Well, Luke, and, and hold your place there. We're going to be back in Hebrews chapter 11 in a minute. But go to Luke 19. Why is Jesus just sitting there expecting that this is going to get done and he's not actively making I mean, let's face it, he could get up and come down here and get us right now and, and wipe out the devil and he doesn't have to do much of all. It's, it could get done real quick. Well, in Luke chapter 19, this is where Jesus goes to the house of um, Zacharias, or Zacchaeus. And, you know, Zacchaeus was one of those people, he, he, Jesus said, I'm coming to your house. Well, first of all, Zacchaeus was a short guy, and he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd, so he climbed up in a tree and started hollering at Jesus. And Jesus turned to him, he said, Zacchaeus, come down from there, I'm going to your house today. And then when he got there, he told this um, parable of the ten servants, the ten talents. And at the end of it, in verse 13, he's talking about this, this uh, king who came to do some business, and then he, he's got to go back to his home. But he leaves his servants there and he gives them money to do business. And he tells them in verse 13, he says, And he called his ten servants and delivered to them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Occupy. What does that mean? Well, do you realize that today we still have troops in Germany and in Western Europe. We've occupied that country for 75, over 75 years. We still have bases in Japan. We established those bases in Japan after World War II, and we occupied that country. We're still occupying. Now, we're there as friends now, not as occupiers. But that's what Jesus told these servants he said, I'm here. I'm going to give you the goods to go do business. And I'm going home. Now you stay behind and you do my business. You occupy. The Greek word there literally means it's... it's um, oh, I lost it. I didn't write it down. Yeah, I did. It's pragma maturamai. It's where we get our word pragmatic. It means I've given you gifts, I've given you talents, I've given you my spirit, I've given you my word. Now you take that and you do the business of the kingdom while I go back to the Father. How is he waiting expectantly till his enemies are made his footstool? Because we're in the land, we're his body, we're his feet, we're his hands, we're his mouth. And he said, you've got the goods, get to work. Go do my will. And most of us, all we can see is, God, will he get finished so I can go eat lunch? And then I want to go home and watch a ball game and get to bed early because tomorrow i got to go to work. And God is looking down and saying, yeah, you got to go to work. Paul said, if you, if, if you won't work, don't eat. You know, I don't want you to just go sit and do nothing. You know, we had, uh, uh, I was really 
shocked when we got to uh, Rhema. One of the first messages we heard was uh, about Holy Ghost hobos and charismatic cons. Because there were a lot of people around the Tulsa area that they were living by faith. Which meant they weren't going to do a job. And, you know, they were expecting people to just give them stuff. Left and right. And in fact, we had it at our church. We had somebody got up and testified and said, you know, we've been living by faith for quite a while now. And, and we ought to be living by faith. But by living by faith, they meant I'm not going to go do, a, you know, a Monday and work because I'm in the ministry. Problem was they didn't have a ministry. They were just sitting being lazy. And it said we were, you know, we were having to go to the pecan groves or the pecan groves if you're from the south. Um, and we were picking pecans up off the off the the ground, and that's what our us and our kids were living on. And praise God, we got home the other night, and there were just three, four, five, six bags of groceries at our front door, and God supplied, and we're just so thankful. And guy held up his hand. And he said, "Can I add to that testimony?" And the pastor said, "Sure." He said, well, God didn't supply those groceries, I did. And I'm just going to tell you, those groceries are for your kids. The rest of you two, the adults, can eat pecans. He said, you're too lazy to go to work. That food's not for you. You feed your kids and get a job. Well, God has given us a job. We, we may have to go to our work to get a paycheck because it's hard to eat. It's hard to pay your bills without a paycheck. But in the midst of doing that paycheck, we have a calling. And that calling is to reach in and expectantly expect God to use us and to manifest Himself to, to, through us, to walk in love, to walk in power. But if we don't have our expectation that God can use me, because I, 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 I can't tell you the number of people that I have met over the years. And they'll just tell you, well, yeah, God uses you. You're called into the ministry. And it's like, so are you. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And God's going to hold you accountable for your ministry. Well, I can't get up and buy, preach behind a pulpit. That may not be your ministry. That's my ministry. But your ministry may be doing what Anna did, fasting and praying. But, you know, I got my shows coming on. I'm just going to let that go. Let's close with this one. This is, again, this is exactly how God does it. James chapter 5, and let's start with verse, um, well, let's just read verse 7. Now, start up to verse 1. James 5, 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. You know, let me just stop there and meddle for a minute. I don't consider myself wealthy or rich, but do you realize the poorest of our poor is still in the 1% from around the world? And Occupy Wall Street a few years ago was, you know, and the left still rants about the 1%, you know, and there, there are, there's like the, the top 1% of the richest people in the world own half, three-fourths, control half to three-fourths of the money in the world? I don't care. <laughs> Do I have my daily bread? I still 
when when we we were at at Gina's mom and dad's the first day we were there, her mom's looked at it and she said, I'm so sorry, it's gonna be so cold tonight. It's fifty, it's gonna get down to fifty degrees. And I looked at her and I said, Are you kidding me? I haven't seen fifty degrees in weeks. This is wonderful. This is warm. Her perspective was this is getting cold. Of course, we, Gina and I laughed when it, it seems like there is a rule for life. When you hit 80, your, your uh, thermostat has to stay on 80. Because well, believe me, I was glad I took some shorts because I ran around in shorts in their house all the time. But we are rich. I don't care if you don't have much money in your bank account. You can be the poorest of the poor in this country. You're still within the top 1% of the people of the world. We are rich. And we also have lots of miseries. Our country is miserable right now. But do you think our country is worse than what Simeon and Anna had to put up with? They're in the temple in Jerusalem. They're being occupied by the Romans. They're, they're enslaved. Roman soldier walks up to you and says, you've got to carry my gear for the next mile. You don't have a choice. You do it or they stick a sword through you. And they really don't care. Those men were they, were, they were strong and they were vicious. And you either did what they told or they pulled the sword out. Then you usually did what they were told, what you were told. Well, this, is, this describes us. Verse 2, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Seboeth. Now, let me, let me clarify here. If you've got a really healthy bank account, that doesn't mean that your riches are horrible and you're a horrible person. If you gained your riches honestly, good on. God wants you to prosper. He just doesn't want your riches to have you. And the, and the question you have to ask yourself, if God shows up to you and says, look, I want you to take every dime you've got and sow it into the ministry, can you do it? That was a question the rich young ruler came to Jesus with. He said, I followed all of the law. I'm perfect. I'm ready. I've gained salvation by my works. Jesus thought, no, you haven't, because you're coveting your wealth. And he proves it to him. He said, well, then go sell out everything that you own, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, the kicker to that was later when, when he was talking to the disciples, he said, there's no one that's going to give up houses or riches or anything in this world that I won't repay a hundredfold in this life and give you eternal life to come. He wasn't wanting the rich young ruler to be poor. He wanted the rich young ruler to know you have a problem with covetousness. And that's keeping you from having a relationship with me. If you'll follow me and do what I had, I will I'll make you more blessed and richer than you are now. Amen? It's not the riches. It's where the riches are in your heart that matters. And then verse 5, he says, You have lived on the, on the earth in pleasure and luxury. That describes all of us. It was so nice. We got home last night. 
We had, I had turned the thermostat way down because we weren't going to be here. I'm not going to pay to have a house heated when I'm not in it. So I turned it down while we got home. It was cool. And I went in and cranked the heat up. Within 30 minutes, my house was toasty. In fact, it was a little too warm because we were bustling around unloading stuff. I was working. But you know what? I went to bed. I didn't worry about piling on extra covers. I didn't worry about whether I, the lights were going to come on this morning. I live in luxury. I live from paycheck to paycheck. Let's not mince words here. But even living paycheck to paycheck, I live in luxury. I go turn my water on and I expect water, clean water, that I can drink straight out of the tap. I turn the heat on, the, the house gets hot. In the summertime when it's hot outside, I turn the air on, the house gets cold. I live in more luxury than King David did. And I complain because I don't have enough. I want a newer car. I want a newer whatever. Verse 6. You have condemned, you have murdered the just, he does not resist you. Now verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren. He's, he's been talking about the rich oppressors, the people, the mafia of their day. Okay? But in verse 7, he turns back to the brethren, the believers. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the earlier and the latter rain. That's us. We're in the last days. The prophet Joel said, in the last days you'll get the former and the latter rains at the same time. And Jesus says, this is what you're to do. You are to wait. You are to wait expectantly. You are to press in and make that yours. God, I know you're pouring out the rain and the latter rain. Your blessings and your anointing is so rich on me. Well, I don't feel anointed. I didn't say anything about how you feel. The latter rain and the present and the, and the former rain are here now. We are in the last days. In fact, we're probably in the last of the last days. It may be a thousand years till Jesus comes back, but I suspect it's in the next ten years that he comes back. So the latter and the former rain are being poured out, which means his anointing is being poured out. Well, why don't I feel it? Are you eagerly pressing in and making it yours? Do you get up in the morning and say, God, man, what are you going to do through me today? If you're not, that's probably why you're not seeing a lot happen. Well, brother... I just don't, you know, I'm kind of old, I'm tired, I don't want to have to do all that. Well, sit back and watch the rest of us have fun. Because I'll tell you, I'm at a point in my life where I'm tired of, of reading about things happening. I'm sick and tired of hearing about miracles happened at this church. Miracles happened with this person's hands. I want to see them on my hands. I want to lay hands on the sick and see people's limbs restored. See, fevers just walk away. See, cancers disappear. I'm sick and tired of hearing about other people doing it. I want to see it. And I am going to, for me personally, 
I am going to set, I have set myself that I am going to earnestly expect and wait for the fruit. And not just because I want to see miracles. Because I know when I start seeing miracles, I'm going to start seeing sinners say, whoa, wait a minute. <clears throat> Maybe you've got something I really want. If you're, you know, <clears throat> I guarantee you, you can meet the nastiest Christian-hating person in the world. If they've got a child or a grandchild that's sick, they don't care what you are. If you can, if you can minister to them and, and meet their need, they are open to it. <clears throat> the only people I've ever found resistant to having people pray for their, their children or grandchildren are usually religious Christians. Well, you can't do that. That all passed away. When the last apostle died, all the miracles ceased. You can't do that. Well, okay. Bury him. I, and I don't mean that hard-heartedly. I can't minister to you. I can't minister to your family if you push it off. We had a situation Brother Hagin shared one time where literally he was praying for a lady and God picked her up out of her wheelchair. And she hovered a few inches above the wheelchair. And then she grabbed her wheelchair and pulled herself back to, into it. And God spoke to him. He said, I'm here to heal her and she won't let me. And he was not happy about it. He was sad over it. The only people that resisted are religious people. Regular folks. They just, they don't care about church. They're drinkers, smokers, carousers. They're just out having a good time. Let's eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow we die. Now the world's going to hell. I'm going to have a good time while it's going. Those people, when they have a need, they look for help. And they'll do anything, they'll pay anything, they'll, they'll do about anything to get help. I want to be there. I want God to, be, to use me to be the one to meet that need. And then say, look, the same power that God just took out of my hands, He wants you to have it. This is available to you. This isn't just something exclusive to me or to any Christian. Then, once you meet that need, they're open to the gospel. Then you can bring them in. Then you can preach and see them born again. Amen? But we have to have that earnest expectation. We have to crawl out of bed in the morning and say, God, I don't care where, I don't care how, I just use me today. I want you to use me today. And I'm expecting you will. When we start doing it, He'll start doing it. Because He's just waiting on us. Believe me, God wants it more than we want it. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana. Or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.